Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Morning. Morning, those of you that are watching online as well. We're glad to have you guys with us as well. Uh, Hope you had a really good week tonight. uh, Before we dive into what we're going to talk about this morning, tonight, if you haven't heard, uh, we have a pretty exciting night planned. Uh, Our very first interest party for our Edgewater uh, campus. And so tonight, if you know somebody that lives in Yuba County, if you live in Yuba County, invite them to come. It's at the old firehouse in Marysville. We're going to do one at 5 o'clock and one at 6.30. And so it's going to be a fun time. And so I wanted to just make sure you knew about it if you hadn't heard yet. So uh, this past week, and I know I've talked to some of you uh, it seems like a lot of us are getting back into some rhythms for a, few, for a few weeks. All of us, you know, if you have kids, especially this season is, man, you're kind of getting people back into the, you actually have to go to bed at night because you need to get up in the morning and you're kind of getting everybody back into their rhythms. I know for our family, it seemed like this week was, all right, we're finally getting back into a little bit of a rhythm. And as I've talked to you, uh, a lot of you over this past season have been in transition. Uh, for some of you, your, your kid is going to a new school, and so there's been some transition there. Uh, some of you, maybe some of you that are watching online, you've started a, a new job or a new role in your job. Uh, for some, it's maybe you started a side hustle. I know some of you, you, you got a full-time job, but you've also kind of started another little side hustle in this season. For some of you, it's been a transition in your faith. Uh, you have this season has kind of been a season where you've started to kind of come back to faith and re-engage maybe in a, in a different and deeper way in your faith. And, and there's been a, a lot of different transitions that uh, you've gone through. Our family's gone through some things. For some of you like us, you've sent somebody away to college. And so a lot of different transitions. And with transition comes expectations, With every single transition, whether it's sending a kid to a new school or whether it's you starting a new job or a new role in your job, every single transition comes with some expectations. And so maybe those expectations, and it can kind of go one of two ways. Maybe maybe the expectations that you had in the season of transition or in a season that you've had in your life, man, those expectations were blown away and it was way better than you expected. Man, the new job, you love it more than you even thought you would. The, the school that your kid's getting into, man, they have just, it's been so fun. They love to go back to it. And, and maybe the transition that you've been through has, man, over-exceeded all your expectations. But then there's other times, and we've all had this happen, where we started a new job, we, we you know, started a new school, maybe a new role at our job, something new And we had some expectations, we had some excitement going into it, and as we got into it, we almost felt cheated. 
we almost felt like, man, this thing overpromised because what I'm experiencing is not what I expected. And, and maybe we feel like, man, that, that didn't go the way I was sold and what was told to me about. And for some of you, it's been a job where, man, you've started a job, you've looked forward to it, and then you got into it and were like, oh my, oh, this didn't go what I, as I expected. Uh, for some of you, maybe it was a, a new role or a new boss, and man, you had heard good things about this boss, and then you started to actually have to interact with them, and you thought, oh, this is going to be a rough one. We're going we're gonna to need to read James chapter 1, and, and some trials are going to be happening over the next uh, a few months. But for some of you, you've experienced that over-promised and under-delivered when it comes to church, when it comes to kind of this area of faith, where, where you had an expectation of the church, you had an expectation of maybe people that go to church, and as you started to get into it, or as you started to get around those people, as you started to interact with, with, with that kind of world, you felt like, man, this is not what I was sold. This was not what I expected. And, and maybe for you, if you're honest, you would say, you know what, I, I, it's one of the reasons that I've kind of straight-armed the kind of church world. It's one of the reasons that I, I walked away from the church for a season was because, man, what I experienced and what I thought and what I expected, it just didn't match up. Which, which leads to a question, and this is a question that every one of us can answer no matter where we are as it relates to faith. And here's the question. What is your expectation of the church? What's your expectation of the church? I mean, every place we go, we go in with an expectation. When you go to a restaurant, you go in with an expectation. When you go into a store, you go in with an expectation. When you join a team, you go in with an expectation. And so as you think about the church, and maybe you've never thought of it this way, and maybe you're somebody that's not even kind of, you're still kind of investigating faith. You're not even sure you buy into the whole Jesus thing yet. This is a question we all can answer. And so the question is simply this. What is your expectation of the church? For some, they would look at the church and they would say their expectation is almost kind of a, a social club. And if they were honest, they'd say that's kind of what, when I think about the church and when I think about my involvement in the church, for some, it, it kind of fits what a social club would fit. And their expectation is that, man, I, it's a place where I can hang out with a few friends, maybe do some networking. It's a place where I can kind of check the box for a charitable organization that I'm involved in. And so for some in society, when they think of the church and when they have expectations of the church, they kind of would say, and they maybe wouldn't call it this, but it's kind of like the social club. For others in society, and maybe you'd say, this is kind of how I look at church, they would their expectation of the church is simply a spiritual building. It's a spiritual building that I, I you know, try to visit once in a while if I'm not too tired or I don't have something better going on. And, it, and I kind of hope to get a nugget for maybe to help me in my journey. And, and it kind of eases my conscience if I go to that spiritual building a, a handful of times. And, and so it's for some, when they think of the church, they think of it just literally as a spiritual building that they try to get to once in a while so they don't, their conscience is kind of okay. Another expectation that some have kind of in society is they kind of 
expect the church to be an entertainment outlet. It's kind of, you know, like you would go to your favorite sports event, your favorite concert, your favorite movie. We kind of see the church as an outlet to entertain us and our family. We, we look at ourselves as audience members, and, and we would see ourselves that way. And so as we, we think about the church, and maybe you would say, oh, man, honestly, I've, I've felt that, or I've had that expectation before. Or maybe for you, you grew up and you, you thought of the church a different way, and there's a different thing that you would describe the church as, or kind of what you expected from the church, what somebody told you it was going to be like. But, but here's the question that I, that I think is, is worth asking. Does your and my expectation of the church match Jesus's intention for the church? When Jesus kind of started and initiated this thing called the church, is what I think of it and his intention for it, do they match up? And it's a good question. In Matthew 16, prior to Jesus' death and resurrection, he, he said this, and it was kind of a, an audacious statement. He said this. He said in Matthew 16, he said, I will build my church. He says, and, and, and they didn't even know what that all was going to be because he hadn't died. He hasn't risen again. There, there were really no churches yet the way that they are today. And he makes a statement. He says, I will build my church. And when Jesus said the word church, he, he said it in a different language, so he didn't say the word church, but, but here's what he didn't mean. He didn't mean a building that has great coffee in the back, and I'm not against that. I love great coffee, but he wasn't thinking of a, a place where you go and sit and hopefully have padded chairs and get a little good coffee in the back. Jesus wasn't saying, I'm going to build that. Here's what Jesus meant when he said the word church. He meant called out ones. He was talking about a, a group of people. He says, I'm going to build my church. And then he goes on and he says this, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. The gates of Hades, death, hell, the evil one, and all that goes with that. I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build this unstoppable movement of called out ones. I'm going to build this unstoppable movement of people and not even death itself is going to be able to stop it. And Jesus, he makes this, this audacious statement to people that probably at that point had no clue what he was talking about because he was still feeding 5,000. He was still doing the miracles we read about. And so they didn't even understand it totally. But he said this, I'm going to build it and nothing's going to stop it. I'm going to build my church and the gates of Hades, the gates of death themselves, not even the thing that people are most scared of, is going to stop my movement of called out ones, the church. And Luke, a guy that was around Jesus, a guy that lived right in the same time period as Jesus, a guy that was actually a doctor, he actually writes an account and he writes a couple accounts. He, he writes uh, an account to a friend. He's writing uh, to a guy by the name of Theophilus, and he wants to tell Theophilus all about Jesus' work, all about what he did, and then all about the beginning of this movement, the church. And so he writes two parts to this. He writes the book of Luke, which is the first part, but then he writes the book of Acts, which is the second part, the to-be-continued account of this 
the beginnings of this early movement we call the church. And so if you have your Bible or it'll be up on the screen, let's lean in to what Luke says. And let's continue to ask ourselves the question, whether we're a follower of Jesus or not, let's ask ourselves that question. Does my kind of expectation and what I think the church is and what I lean into as the church, is that even what Jesus intended it to be? Is that what it's supposed to all be about? Well, we see here in the very beginning of the church in Acts chapter 2, it says this, verse 1, so Jesus has died, he's risen from the grave, he's back into heaven. And then it says this, when the day of Pentecost had arrived. So to you and me, the day of Pentecost means absolutely nothing. To these people, this was a very, very important annual festival. It was the second of three annual festivals that were really important to them. The first one was Passover. And then about 50 days later came this this other one called Pentecost. And so they're, they're in the middle of, of what's an important festival. It'd be like for us, Thanksgiving and, and almost Christmas. It'd be like, you know, Thanksgiving and then 30, 40 days later, a little farther along, there's, there's just another big deal called Pentecost. And, and so it says, when, when the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. And so the disciples, probably at this point, about 120 people are all together in one place in the middle of this festival, and it says this in verse 2. Suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. So in the scriptures, throughout all throughout the scriptures, when it talks about wind, a lot of times it's referring to the Holy Spirit, And fire, in many cases, represents kind of God and his power and his presence. And so they're all gathered together. They're kind of in a spot where they're not sure what the next thing they're supposed to do is. Like Jesus has been there. They had this three years with Jesus. They watched him die. They saw him rise from the dead. And then he pieces out and he goes to heaven. And he's told them, hey, I want you to take my message to the whole world. And they're kind of all together like, okay, what's next? And all of a sudden, this happens. It's, it's the wind comes, fire comes. They're all together, and it says this. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And here's what's interesting. From this point on, when someone believes the good news, when someone believes that Jesus died, rose from the grave, and puts their faith in Jesus and begins a relationship with God, when that happens from this time till now, the Holy Spirit, one of the things that happens is the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside that person. And so at this moment, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit comes and empowers these people that are kind of in the in the room and they're not sure what's going on and now it's this wind and this fire that's kind of weird looking and and something's happening and the holy spirit comes and begins to indwell these people and then it says this and they began to speak in different tongues as the spirit enabled them and there's if you grew up in church there's A lot of thoughts on this, but here's basically what it means. They begin to speak in other languages. 
They began to speak in other known languages that they hadn't taken four years of college to understand. Like, it wasn't like Peter's like, yeah, I took four years of Spanish, and so I'm going to start speaking Spanish. It's like, no, I didn't take any classes on Spanish, and all of a sudden I can speak in Spanish. You know, John's over there. He's like, man, I, I don't even like French fries. And he's, he's speaking French. Like, what, what's going on here, dude? I, I don't know how this is happening. But the Holy Spirit enables them to speak in other languages. And so watch what happens. I mean, you, if you're a kid in school, you're like, come on. Can this happen to me? This would be helpful in Spanish class. Uh, it, so they start speaking in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And it says this, verse 5, Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. So again, all these people had come to the city because there's a festival. So there's people that are from the area, but then there's just people from all the nations around have come. And it says, When this sound occurred, a crowd came out together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. So just like you, man, if, if, if all of a sudden, like something blows up in the parking lot, we're like, what, what was that? I'm going to get out there. What, what's going on out there? So all of a sudden this wind and this, like something's happening. And so people are outside kind of being nosy, like what's going on? And, and as they're outside, they, they start to hear these guys, some of them, maybe they knew and they're like, dude, we're from this part of the world. And this guy's speaking in our language, like. What is going on here? So this crowd's gathered. They're starting to hear people speaking in their own language that they can understand. And it says this, verse 7, They were astounded and amazed, saying, Look, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language? See, the Holy Spirit had had kind of supernaturally given these people the ability to speak in the languages of the people that were there in the city. So obviously, without saying, what they had to say was really important to God. And he wanted to make sure that everybody understood what they were saying. And so he allowed them to say it in all these different languages. And Luke, what he does in this next part, part of the scripture is... He doesn't tell us everything that was said, but he, he focuses in on something that Peter said to everybody. And so he gives us a little kind of a, a backstage pass on what Peter was saying that these people could understand. It says this in verse 22. So Peter's up, he's, he's starting to speak, and people are leaning in. It says, he says, fellow Israelites, listen to these words. So Peter's like, hey, lean in, listen up, listen up, lean in. He says, this Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him just as you yourselves know. So Peter says, you, Jesus? And they're all like, oh yeah, yeah, we've heard of that guy. Well, some of you, you guys saw, like you saw how kind of God endorsed Jesus by allowing him to do all these miracles. You were there. Buddy, I, over there, I see you still got some fish on your face from when he fed the 5,000. You were actually there. And, and they were. Some of them weren't. So he's, he's telling them something that, that they, they've heard of. Some of them were actually there. And so he said, Jesus, the guy that did the miracles, God's son. And they're all, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, then he, then he kind of takes a sword and 
presses it in a little bit. He says, Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. You remember Jesus? Yeah, yeah, you remember? Yeah, you were there at the 5,000. You saw him do this. Yep, yep, yep. You killed him. Yeah, it was all part of God's plan, but you guys, some of you were the actual people that got other, the Romans and the religious leaders, you guys are, are the reason that he was killed. So probably at that point, some of them are kind of going to the back of the crowd, kind of looking down, not trying to make eye contact with Peter, because they know it. But then he says this, you killed him, but verse 24, but God raised him up. God, God raised him up. Ending the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by death. Yeah, you were there. Yeah, you saw him die. You actually were part of it. You were part of the crowd yelling, crucify him. I saw you. You, you thought it was done. But death couldn't hold Jesus. Death was just so weak compared to Jesus. God raised him up. And they've heard rumors of that too. Some of them had seen the risen Jesus. And then he says this in, in verse 32, God has raised this Jesus and we are all witnesses of this. So he basically says, you killed him, God raised him, and we saw him. Yeah, you, you, you're the one that helped kill him. God was the one that raised him up and we're the ones that actually saw him and we had dinner with him after he rose from the grave. We were there. We saw him. And as Peter is saying this, again, a bunch of people that have gathered because they hear wind and there's some commotion and now they're hearing these guys speak in their own language and, and Peter's kind of the leader of the group and so he's up and he's just calling it like it is. He's telling the truth. And they start to, man, they start to feel it a little bit. They start to feel what Peter's saying to the point where it says this in verse 37. When they heard this, when they heard what Peter had said, when they listened, when they leaned in, they were pierced to the heart. Another word would be pricked. They were not comfortable with how they were feeling. If you need a real-life illustration of this, take a little kid to get a shot. If you're a parent or you have a little brother or sister, and you ever take your little brother or sister to get a shot you understand how a prick is very uncomfortable. For us, I never go because I can't handle watching my kids get stuck with needles. So it's not fun. But I remember even with Kate, she's got to a spot now where we can bribe her out of making a scene. Uh, so we do that as much as possible. But man, a couple nights before she's even ready to get a shot, she's thinking about it. It's not you and I, we're adults, so we have enough pride to not flail on the ground when we don't want to get stabbed with a needle, but our kids, they haven't gotten that far yet. And, and so you've been in there, man. I, I remember as a little kid, man, a shot, I hated a shot, but the thing I hated the worst was when they would come put that needle and prick you in the finger. I remember being like, I'll rip a scab off and you can get blood right there. You don't need to do this because it obviously we don't like to be pricked. Getting stuck with a needle, uh, doesn't matter how big the sticker is you get afterwards, it isn't fun. It's uncomfortable. And it's in this moment as, as Peter is, is talking and he's telling the truth, man, he's telling him that, that, man, Jesus, you killed him. He rose from the grave and this, 
this words that he's saying are just piercing them. It's pricking them. It's making them feel uncomfortable. And maybe you've experienced that even in like the faith world. I remember as a teenager, there were times when I knew I wasn't living right. And my pastor was one of those pastors that just said it like it was. And I could remember several times at the end of the message, I would have to go to the bathroom because I didn't want to be in the room when he got to the spot where he was kind of calling you to make a decision or take a next step. And so I would just have to go to the bathroom randomly as a 16-year-old, you know, because I couldn't hold my bladder for an hour uh, because I didn't want to be in the room because it was pricking my heart. I knew it wasn't comfortable. And that's what's going on here. They're, they're feeling this. And, and, and it leads them to ask a really honest and good question. Their hearts are pricked. They're, they're feeling this. It's, it's, something's going on. And, and here's what they say. It says, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Like, what are we supposed to do? We feel this, we're not going to try to get out from under it. We feel this, we're not going to avoid it. We just want to know, like, what are we supposed to do? What's the step? And here's what Peter says to them. He says, Peter replied, repent. The word repent just means change your mind. Repent and be baptized. Basically, when we're baptized, it's basically publicly declaring what we've already done in our heart. The decision to repent in our heart, we're telling the world. He says, repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This idea of repent, like for instance, and I know this, this, is a, like, this isn't true, but which you love to hear a pastor say that. Yeah, what I'm about to tell you is not true, but it's an illustration. So for instance, if you were to grow up and from the beginning of your life, you were told that McDonald's hamburgers was the greatest source of protein a person could ever have. And you just thought that. That's just what you thought. You, you, man, you were, it was always, you know, let's say, what do we want? We need to eat something healthy tonight. Well, let's head up to McDonald's and let's get us a couple cheeseburgers because that's the best thing. And if you grew up and that was your thing, but then you went to the, the office Christmas party and you won this gift certificate to this Ruth Chris Steakhouse. I've never heard of this place. I don't know if I'm, you know, I've, uh, man, what, what's this all about? And so you decide, you know what, hey, since I got this gift card, I might as well use it. So me and a buddy, we're going to head up to this steakhouse and, and we'll, we'll get something. We, you know, we'll skip the, the best meal that night, McDonald's hamburgers, and we'll go just whatever, make do with whatever they serve at this Ruth Chris place. And you go and you order and they bring you this steak that's been just soaked in butter and it's literally sizzling on your plate. It's, you can cut it just by thinking about it. You don't even have to put a knife through it. And you take a bite and immediately you repent. <laughs> immediately you change your mind. And because you change your mind, it leads you to change your actions. And that's what happened that day. It had nothing to do with McDonald's hamburgers or Ruth Chris. But what happened is these people, as they were listening and they felt their hearts pricked, and they said, what do we do? And here's what Peter basically told them. Change your mind about sin and about Jesus. Change your mind. 
And when you change your mind about sin, when you change your mind about who Jesus is and what he did, it will lead you to change the direction of your life. You will start a relationship with God. And then when you're done with that, then let's be baptized because you need to let the world know that you have changed your mind about Jesus and about sin. He says you need to repent. And that's what these people did. They, they listened to Peter's message, and it says that they repented. They changed their mind about Jesus and about sin. And then they were baptized. And then it says this in verse 39. For the promise is for you. What, what I'm telling you, this message, it's for you. It's for your children. It's for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call this message isn't a Jewish message. It's not a white people message. It's not a Spanish, a black people message. This is a message that is for all people. This is a message that will radically change the lives of anyone that needs hope. This is a message for everybody. It's for your kids. It's for your grandparents. It's for everybody. With many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, be saved from this corrupt generation. And Peter, I'm sure he, he probably said more than even what Luke recorded, but here we see him encourage people. Man, he's encouraging people to turn from their sin, to change their mind and turn to Jesus. And again, he's looking at people from all over the world. And he's saying, this isn't just a Jewish thing. This is for everybody, young, old, different like races, different ethnicities, different countries, everybody. This is for everybody. This is from Jesus for you. And so he encourages them. It says this in verse 40, 41. And talk about a banner day. It says, so those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 people were added to them. I mean, they, they were writing a book about church growth that day. I mean, you talk about a banner day. This church goes from 120 to 3,120 in a few hours. I mean, they, they probably had to, like, have some spotters for how many people they were. I'm like, goodness, we need to go spend some time with Richard and get in better shape before we have one of these days like this again. So many people getting baptized. But, but then this, look at what they did. So all these people, they didn't come to the city to accept Jesus. They didn't come to the city to, to change their life and all that. That's not why they were here. They were here for a religious, ritualistic <coughs> like festival. Check the box. I went to Pentecost. I did the thing. But something happened. Their heart was pierced and pricked, and they, they couldn't just leave it alone. They had to do something. And so they repented. They changed their mind about Jesus and about sin, and they embraced Jesus as their Savior. And then it says this, and this is where as you lean in, you see, oh, this is what the church was supposed to be about. Is this what I expect from the church? Look at what they did. They didn't know what to do. They didn't, they didn't have a book. They, they didn't have the Bible. They were writing the Bible. They were being the Bible at this point. And it says this in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to breaking of bread and prayer. 
3,000 and some people, they spent time learning together. They spent time praying together. And of course, they ate. Why not? You got to eat. I mean, they they had time with each other over meals. It says this in verse 43, everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. So not only were they being taught and being with each other, having meals, praying together, but they were watching God do crazy stuff. Like God was at work. God was changing things, doing miracles. It was amazing. It says this in verse 44, it says, Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as they had need. And so not only were they learning and praying and just watching God work, but these people were, there was a spirit of generosity specifically with the people that were among them, the people of faith. And, and, and for some of these people, the reason that they had to be a help to each other, for, for some of these people, when they said yes to Jesus, they said no to their family. They said no to maybe even a, a business. There, there, was, there were some consequences for saying yes to Jesus. In this world, we have it pretty easy in America, but in this world, there are people that when they decide to follow Jesus, they are also deciding to be thrown out of their family. Not because they want to, they just know that's the reality. They know, hey, when I say yes to Jesus, Jesus, not only am I going to say yes to Jesus, but because I say yes to Jesus, there are going to be some serious consequences in my life as it relates to my income, my family, and the people that hang around with me. I mean, they give up a lot. And in this setting, some of these people were doing that. And so what was happening is they were just being generous. They were taking care of each other. They were helping each other. There was a spirit of generosity. It says, every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. And and so they, you find that they were gathering in large groups, but they were also gathering in small groups and in houses and, and just being with each other, learning together, encouraging each other. It says they ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts. There was a spirit of gratitude. And then I love verse 47. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And this is astounding to me. Every day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Every single day, people were saying yes to Jesus. It started with 120. Then in one day, it grew to over 3,000. If you do some some work in history and you kind of look back at at even Rome and, and all that was Rome you see that within a few decades, what started with this small group just went all throughout Rome and and throughout the regions of Rome. It was amazing. And and who wouldn't want to be a part of this? Like, like who who wouldn't want to be a part of something where they're seeing God do miraculous things, where they they have people that are are with them and for them and that are encouraging them and and they're, they're sharpening each other? Like, who wouldn't want to be a part of that? 
And so it literally says that every single day people were turning their back on what they had thought and what they, how their life was going and they were changing their mind and turning to Jesus. And they were a part of this beginnings of this movement, not a building. They were a part of a movement of called out ones that Jesus had changed and they were changing the world. See, the church that Luke describes is a beautiful picture of what Jesus intended the church to be. The church was, it was never meant to be a building. It was never meant to be a social club. It was never meant to be an entertainment outlet. It was meant to be a movement of people. It was meant to help those people know God. It was meant to help those people find freedom. It was meant to help those people discover purpose. And it was meant to help those people make a difference, to use their lives for something bigger than themselves. That's what the church was and should be today. Which leads us back to our original question. And here's the question. Again, it doesn't matter where you find yourself. If you're someone that's, man, I've been following Jesus forever or, man, I'm still kind of investigating. Here's the question. Does your expectation of the church match Jesus' intention for the church? You don't, you don't have to change your mind, but at least just be honest. Like, just honestly answer that question. Just be honest about it. Because for some, and, and here's a big, it's sad but true, but for some, the reason they walked away the reason their kids are bored with Christianity is become, because someone, whether they meant to or not, made them think the church was something it was never meant to be. And so there's people that have walked away from it. There's people that have kids in their houses that they're just bored with the whole thing. Because someone along the way, and maybe they didn't mean to, but they, they gave you or your kids this expectation or what the church was, and it's just not what it was meant to be. I promise you, these people in Acts, they weren't bored with Christianity. It wasn't like, well, let's go check the box. No, something was happening. Something was moving. God was working. They couldn't, they couldn't, like, there was no place big enough to, I mean, people just kept coming. There was something special happening that, that literally changed their whole region and went out and covered literally all of Rome. And I think today when, when we look at the church, sometimes we, what we think of it, and maybe it's, again, what someone, they meant to tell us the right thing, and they just gave us the wrong view of it. And so now we look at the church based on our expectation, and it's like, you know what? When it doesn't entertain, I jump ship. When the social program that I'm looking for doesn't start, I take my ball and I go home. When my conscience is okay with me only showing up once in a, once a quarter, like I, I'm a, the spiritual building, when I, when I can show up once a quarter and check the box and still feel okay, that's what I do. Because I view the church as a spiritual building or some entertainment outlet or, or, or some social club. And so I, I can allow myself to like, you know what, if I'm involved or not involved, or it's just not that big of a deal. Because my expectation is not what Jesus 
said it was supposed to be. Here's the reality. When we see the church as a consumer, we see the church the way Satan wants us to. When we see ourselves as audience members, Satan's like, that's exactly what I was hoping. That was my goal. I don't care if they go there on Sunday. I don't care if they lose sleep to go be at a church. I could care less. As long as they just see themselves as an audience member, I'm good with that. But when we see the church as a movement that we are a part of, we see the church the way Jesus does. And of course, in our society, churches meet in buildings. Yeah, that's not, it's not like, oh, the building's bad. No, 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 no. But the building isn't the church. The, 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 the building, it's not, this is, it's about people. It's about a movement of people that have been called by God to do something very important in their day. To pass the baton to the next generation like countless other generations have done. They haven't passed on buildings. They've passed on something better. A movement. A message. Hope. That's what the church is to be. And sometimes when we, we do a message on Sunday, we, we obviously try to give application every single week. And sometimes the application is kind of philosophical. And it's, hey, think a different way, or here's a, uh, maybe something to, to think about. But then there's other times where when we make application, and it's going to be like today, where, man, I'm going to give you some very practical, practical, tangible things that will help you apply what we're talking about today. And so let, let me walk you through a few things that are like, man, if these are some things that will help us in very tangible ways apply what we're talking about. Our mission here at our church is we want to walk with people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. This idea of walking with people is so important because when we walk, we want to walk with people from all different backgrounds, all different places in their faith. Everyone's welcome. No one's a superstar. No one's a hero. Everyone's walking together. We're walking towards something. And we do that by helping each other know God, first thing. We help people know God. And for us, those avenues or those environments that we really try to help people know God is the larger groups. And so one of the things, and obviously it's just like speaking to the choir because you're here, but man, making that Sunday morning gathering a priority is huge because it's an opportunity for us to know God better. We don't have to know God. It doesn't guarantee we'll know God better. But, but when we do large group things like Wednesday night youth group, like, like Sunday morning, man, it, it's meant to be a place where it doesn't matter where you are in your faith, you can come. And if you want to, you can know God better. It's why here in a few weeks, we're going to start what we just call, again, we're super not creative. So we just kind of call it what it is, City Walk Midweek. So City Walk Midweek is, is basically starting on September 13th. We obviously have our youth group that meets here on Wednesday nights. But we're going to start a program for preschoolers. And we're going to start a program for elementary kids. So that they can come on, on Wednesday nights. They can have a blast. But they can also know God better and more intimately. And so we're starting a program. 
just calling it City Walk Midweek. We also obviously have some small groups that meet on, on Wednesday nights. So for some adults who are going to drop your kids off anyway, it's easy like, yeah, I'll just go to a small group while my kids are here. So we want to help people know God. But also we want to help people find freedom. Find freedom. And, and here's the thing. And, and you know, if, you, if you've grown up in church, you know this. If you haven't, you probably already realize it even in a, fir- in a few weeks. You don't get to know people sitting in a row. Like when I was, at, when I was growing up, my family, kind of where you're at, Yvonne, that was the Fincham's row right there. Third row, Heritage Baptist Church, don't sit in our row. That was our row. Just is what it is. So you know what? And, and there was a family that sat in the fourth row. That was their row. So you know what? You, every, every week you kind of, hey, how are you? How was your week? And you kind of briefly get to know people a little bit. But obviously pretty surface when you're sitting and looking at the back of their head or they're looking at the back of your head. You don't really get to know. Like you can sit in a row behind the same person for a decade and never really know them. And, if, and, and here's what I found in my life. If I'm not known, I'm not free. If no one really knows Chris Fincham, then Chris Fincham isn't really free. You have to be known to be free. And that's why we do small groups. We, do, we call them city groups. Groups of, of adults that, that get together on a, on a weekly basis. We have 10 now. We're going to be starting a new term of small groups in about three weeks. This is a perfect time to get, get on board. And man, we find freedom when we sit with the same people And they hear about our best days and our worst days. We pray for each other. There's connection. You get to know people and you you gain freedom because you gain, you're known. So we want to help people know God. We want to help people find freedom. But also, we want to help people discover purpose. And, And when we talk about discovering purpose, we talk about spiritual rhythms and helping people develop them in their own life. Again, coming to church, great thing to do. But just like if you were going to live physically, if you only ate one meal a week, even if it was a big meal, you're like, or, or if it's a, not a big meal, maybe it's like, oh, Chris, it was a little light today. I'm going to be hungry later today. Uh, but but it, whether it's a big meal or a small meal, like we can't live on one meal. We can't come to church and like, I listened to the guy yell at me for 40 minutes. I'm good for the week. No, we, we need to spend time with God on a regular basis. We need to develop those rhythms in our life. And they're not just for adults. It's for children. And so one of the things we're doing this year is we, we're all, I mean, whoever wants to, uh, we have quiet times devotionals. This devotional, I I did the first one today for myself. My small group of uh, guys that I meet with, we're we're walking through this. Your kids, if they're a part of the City Walk Midweek program, they're going to have a quiet time that goes on the same passage of scripture that you're on as an adult, but it's going to be an age-appropriate kind of activity. So this is a great tool for us personally, but it's also a great tool if, if we have a teenager or a child, because there's age-appropriate ones that are going through the exact same passage of Scripture. And so you talk about a tool for you as a dad or a mom that's just trying to get the kids involved in Scripture and then kind of have something to talk about throughout the week. This is a great tool that, that for this year, we're, we're plugging away at this for whoever wants to. So even on your way out, you saw it on the way in. You can get your, order your quiet times for your families if you want to. 
We want to help people learn to feed. Don't, don't you want that? I just sent my daughter off to college. And, and, and one of the best things I heard my daughter say, she was just home, praise God, she came home for a couple days, helped her dad's heart out a little bit. One of the best things that we, we talked about this week, or at least made my heart happy, she said, Dad, here's what I'm reading for myself. Here's, here's what I'm going to be studying this year, person, not just for my college classes, but here's the passages I'm going to be working through. That's, that's it right there. That's what, isn't that what we want? Don't we want to help from preschool all the way up to just to let our kids know that, hey, this, this Bible thing, it's not just the, the spiritual people in the spiritual building that use this. This is actually like food for your soul. It will help you discover purpose in your life. We want to help. And then the last thing, again, I told you, it was going to be very practical. We want to help people make a difference. Don't we want to? Like, don't we want to get to the end of our life and say, my life mattered for things that outlast me? And so we, we want to encourage people to invest their time, their treasure, and their talents into things that outlast them. And so real practically, today, we're having an interest party for people that want to help with the City Walk Midweek program for kids. Maybe that you're like, never would I ever want to work with kids. Okay, well, then that's not for you. But some of you are like, you know what? Investing in preschoolers, investing in children, and that's a way I can use some God-given gifts and passions I have to do something that's going to outlast me. Well, today we're going to have that. September 10th, if you remember, if you were here at the beginning of the summer, we did a summer kickoff where we gave away t-shirts, had Kona ice, a bunch of stuff outside, and and we all kind of signed up for all the events we did this summer. We all signed up for different stuff. Well, on September 10th, again, we're not super creative, so we're going to call it a fall kickoff. And we're going to have t-shirts for everybody. And we're going to have all the different things that we're going to be doing this fall. Ways where you can go, hey, I'll sign up for that. I want to be a part of that. I want to encourage you. Find something to use your gifts to make a difference. See, at the end of the day, and I already mentioned this, but at the end of the day, something I know about you and something that you know about me is this. We want our life to matter. And we want it to matter for things that outlast us. And in God's plan, and he could have done it any way he wanted to, but in God's plan, he chose the church to be the movement that carried what mattered most to the world, the gospel, the good news about his son. And so I want to encourage you, if you're someone that's, man, you're new to faith, this isn't for just spirit. This isn't for people that have been doing this for a long time. And if you're just getting into this thing, take a step. If you're like, man, I'm not even sure I totally buy into this thing, but, but, but it sounds like doing something with my life that matters. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll take a step. Or maybe you're somebody that's like, man, I've been following Jesus for longer than you've been alive, Chris. And I've, I've gotten to a spot where I've kind of retired from that. Don't. Step in, lean in. If you're a young adult and, and it's like, oh, I'm busy, I'm doing this or that, do something that matters. 
Use your life for something that matters. It won't get a lot of attention on social media. It might not get a lot of headlines, but somebody will probably be in heaven because you did something. And is it really, is there anything better? That's why we're four and a half years old and we're about to tell people about a new church tonight. We still have churches that give us money so that we can pay our bills. We're not even self-sustaining yet. We're, we're less than five years old. But you know what? Still people going to hell. And so I don't think God's up there like, hey, y'all, when you feel safe, and when you feel like you have all, everything together, then you come be a part of my mission. I think he's like, why don't you trust me with all that stuff and take what's most precious to me to the world? And I'll take care of the rest. And that's what we're going to do as a church. And I pray that's what you'll do as an individual. Let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful for your word. And Lord, uh, we're so thankful that your word and this good news about Jesus, this good news about a life that matters for eternity, isn't for people that have it all together. It isn't for people that have a clean past and have never done anything that they're ashamed of. It's for everyone. And God, I pray that you would work in our heart today. And Lord, if we don't have a relationship with you, I pray that this might be the day that we take that step. And God, if we do have a relationship with you and we maybe have wrong expectations about what the church is, and Lord, I just pray that you would kind of re- frame it in our minds and show us how you want us to be involved in your movement. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and you would say, Chris, I, I don't have a relationship with God. Maybe you're watching online. Maybe you're listening to this on a podcast. You would say, man, I, I don't have a relationship with God. I've actually, I've still got a lot of questions, but man, I'm, I'm, I'm at least, I'm ready to take a step. If you're here or you're watching, you'd say, I'm ready to take that step to, to follow Jesus. How do I do that? It's real simple. Just between you and God right now in the quietness of your heart, wherever you're listening to this, say, you know, dear God, I admit to you, I've disobeyed you. I admit to you, I've sinned. Just tell him. Then just tell him, God, I believe. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. He took the punishment for my sin. And then just tell him, I believe he rose from the grave. And then invite him. God, I want a relationship with you. Come into my life. Transform me. If you're here this morning... You're watching online and you, you prayed and you received Jesus. You made that decision. Or maybe you still have questions. There's a decision card right in front of you if you're here with us in person. If you're watching online, you can go to citywalk.cc. There's a decision card. Just fill that out. If you're here, you can drop it in the offering basket. If you're online, we'll get it in our email. We'll contact you this week. Just want to make sure you understand your decision answer any questions you might have. Maybe you're here and you would say, man, Chris, I made that decision a long time ago. Let me ask you this. Is, is the Holy Spirit nudging you to take a step? 
nudging you to take a step in, in the movement that Jesus started. Maybe for you it's, yeah, man, I think getting my family involved in a quiet time, that's a, yeah, we're going to try it. Maybe it's, hey, I've got a neighbor that I just have felt burdened to talk to about Jesus, and I'm going to do it. Maybe it's, uh, I'm going to get in a small group. We've been kind of holding out on that, but I'm, we're just going to get in. Maybe it's something we haven't talked about at all, but you just feel that nudge. Would you say yes? Would you just t- say yes? The band's about to sing a song and invite you to stand and sing too with them. And when we do, Matt and Julie are down front. And if you'd like to man, talk to somebody about a decision that you want to make or something that you would like prayer for, just make your way down front. Maybe you just want to come down front by yourself and pray. Maybe you and your wife, your, your spouse, your kids, whatever. Just this, this front's open for you. We're here to serve you. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your church. I thank you that you invite us to be a part. I pray that we would be sensitive to you and that we would just say yes to whatever you're telling us. In Jesus' name, amen.